Father, as we come before you this evening, show us Christ. Reveal your glory. Open our ears to hear you and soften our hearts so that we might know you better. Amen. Well, if you could have anything in life in order to be fulfilled, what would it be? If you could have anything in order to bring you satisfaction, peace, and fulfillment, what would you ask for? And if we were to dig deep down into the deepest desires of your heart, what might we find? To some of us, this question might be simple, but I think if we were really, if we were to really dig deep, I'm sure we'll find it's more complicated than we think. And no doubt if this question was asked in some of our small group settings, maybe in our youth groups, student groups, or, or connect groups, we may intuitively believe that the answer should be Jesus. And maybe some of us really do believe that Jesus is at the center of our deepest desires. However, I think if we are to be honest with each other, we would admit that we often struggle with keeping Christ at the center of our lives. We often struggle to place our identity and our fulfillment and our satisfaction in Christ. Just think of how you felt the last time an an outcome didn't work in your favor. That job interview that you you swore went really well and and that was perfect for you. That exam that you swore swore you did really well in only to hear that you didn't get into your desired university course. That relationship that you thought would stand the test of time. That friendship that you swore would last a lifetime. Hardship. Betrayal, disappointments, in in all these situations, our emotional responses often reveal where our true fulfillment is. It often reveals the areas in which we were placing our identity and our satisfaction. Well, my goal this evening is to convince you that Christ is enough. My goal this evening is to convince you that Christ is sufficient for every need. That in Christ is where our identity lies, and in Christ is where we find all our fulfillment and our satisfaction. If we're not convinced of this, no doubt we will be vulnerable to being led astray by by worldly ideologies. We will be setting ourselves up for the disappointment that comes with seeking fulfillment in things that fail to meet our expectations. We will be captured by the deceitful philosophies of this age. However, if we are to find our fulfillment in Christ, we will have all that we need to continue in the faith that we first received to hold fast onto the faith that we entered into, knowing that that the Christ we first received is the one who is able to bring us to completion. Look down with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, 
So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now I wonder if you remember the moment you received Jesus I know, I know some of you might even know the exact dates, um, the exact date and time that you came to know the grace that is found in Jesus, or, or maybe some of you are like me, you have a vague time period in your life of when you came to know the saving knowledge of the truth, but, but you can't pin the exact moment. Um, baptism services here at Cornerstone are one of my favorite Sundays because we get to take a small glance of how the Holy Spirit has been bringing his lost sheep back to Christ. We get to read and hear the testimonies of those who have recently received Christ and want to make a public expression of their faith by getting baptized. Well, whether you've received Christ last week or or whether you've been a Christian for many decades, Paul has the same appeal for us all, to continue to live your lives in Christ. My first point is even Christ is sufficient for Christian living. To live our lives in Christ is for every aspect of our lives to be holy and submitted to him. It means to pursue holiness and and to keep Christ at the center of it all. So in essence, to to live a Christ-centered life is to live a Christ-like life. So what Paul is saying is that since we have received Christ as Lord, our lives must reflect his lordship. So we can't claim to receive Christ as Savior, but then reject him as Lord. So since we have received the fullness of Christ, we are called to submit to his lordship. But I I know as well as you that it's easier said than done. As a Christian, yeah, we're called to live a Christ-like and a holy life, and, and we know that, but the moment we face temptation, we have a, a tendency to forget. So we enter into a workplace consumed with gossip, and more often than not, we're consumed by that culture. We find ourselves lying to preserve a persona or or because we think the truth might be too hard to swallow. We cover because we lack the contentment, because we lack contentment in the situation that God has placed us in. Or quick to anger when our patient is tested. Like, how many times do we have we told ourselves that the next day, yesterday was different, tomorrow's gonna be yesterday, yesterday I sinned, tomorrow's gonna be different. How many times have we told ourselves that, but the next day we end up committing the same old sin? James in his epistle, chapter 123, says, Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Isn't that us sometimes? We, 
we, we know what Christ-likeness should look, look, should look like, but once we face life, we often forget. So how, how do we continue in our faith? What is the key to continuing in our faith and flourishing in our Christian living? It, do we just try harder? Is it by our own willpower? By following certain rules, putting certain things in place? Well, friends, I'm, I'm sure you know the answer to that question. We look to Christ. Read again, so then, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. We look to Christ. We, we root ourselves in Christ. We, we cannot fight the temptation of sin without rooting ourselves in the one who defeated sin for good. He is the one we first received, and he is the one that we trust in to help us continue in our faith. We must dig as deep as we can and plant our roots in Christ. He, he is our firm foundation, as, as, the, hymn, as the hymn goes, on, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We don't need more willpower. We don't need motivational books or, or TED Talks about how to handle the difficulties of, of colleagues or the difficulties of spouses and, and friends. Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. As verse 7 says, let us root ourselves in Christ, be built up in him and strengthened in our faith. And I'm certain as we do this, we will look back in our lives and see all that God has forgiven us for. We'll see the magnitudes of, the magnitude of his grace. And as we see how the Holy Spirit has been sanctifying us, we will, as verse 7 says, be overflowing with thankfulness. So look and see how far Christ has brought you and trust that he will give you all you need to continue in him. Our second point this evening is that Christ is sufficient for all wisdom and guidance. So being rooted and grounded in Christ gives us all we need to resist being taken captive by false teaching. So take a look at verse eight. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceitful philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, I think it's important to understand that Paul is not saying philosophy itself is deceptive or hollow or demonic. So the term philosophy here, um, it, it means love of wisdom. And it often communicates how we think about God, humanity, and the world around us. What Paul is saying here 
is that the, Coloss the Colossians are to reject any worldview that does not have Christ at its center. So it's, a, it's apparent that, in the, that the church of Colossae was exposed to some of the false teaching that was happening in the community around them. And it's clear that a lot of this false teaching was, was hollow and deceitful. The ESV uses the term empty deceit. This warns us of teaching that promises much but delivers little. It's the kind of lies that we see consuming many around us today. See, how many times have you been lured into something that promises to fulfill you or to complete you in, in one way or another, but very quickly you realize it does not? We are sold the lie that if we are true to ourselves, we will finally find fulfillment in our lives. We're told that if we follow the desires of our hearts, we will finally be complete. From the day we're born, we're, we're set up on this never-ending chase of fulfillment. I remember in school, we were given the impression that nothing is more important in this life than education. As long as you have that, you're fine. As long as you have a solid degree, you'll never have to worry about finding a decent job. As long as you eat well and exercise often, you'll have a joyful and fulfilling life. As long as you have stability and security in the form of a job, mortgage, marriage, and a car, you, you'll be fine. See, the truth is this hollow and deceitful worldview is creeping its way into many churches and no doubt into many of us here. In this part of the world, we are prone to glorifying comfort, stability, and security. Oftentimes, the tangible physical riches of this world seem so much more attainable and desirable than the riches that Christ offers. In, in ancient Israel, God, God's people were often tried by the evil forces of this world by having their resources removed from them. And when Job was tempted by the devil, he lost so much of what he had, and, and his face was, that, was actually strengthened as he relied on God. However, it's clear that the tool Satan is using to tempt Christians on, on this side of history and on this side of the world isn't the removal of resources, but it's resources in abundance. The hollow and deceptive philosophy, philosophy that comes from the elemental spiritual forces of this age is this, that all our fulfillment and all our hope and all our joy and all our completion comes from the lifestyle we live and the possessions that we own. This is a grave, grave lie. And a part of us knows this because, because of how quickly the euphoria of our last accomplishment wore off. When, when you were in school or university, exams feel like life or death situations. When you got that job offer you, or you were newly married, there is that initial excitement or sense of fulfillment. But it's only a matter of time until it wears off and you're searching for the next milestone in life. You're searching for the next thing that will give you completion. 
Look, many of the things I've discussed aren't ultimately bad things, but once we, once we start to find, once we begin to, begin to try and put our fulfillment in them, they become idols. Brothers and sisters, we do not find our fulfillment in the things of this world. We find our fulfillment in Christ. Everything else is hollow and empty. Brings me to my next point. Christ is sufficient for our fulfillment. Read verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. The fullness of God lives in Christ. The power that spoke the universe into existence dwells in Christ. All of who God is, his his mercy, his grace, his power, his judgment, his love, all of it lives in Christ. The promise of eternal life, all hope, all fulfillment, all that we could ever want or need can be found in Christ. But what I think is really profound here is that Every single one of us here who is in Christ has been made complete. We don't need to seek fulfillment anywhere else in creation. We have been brought to completion by the creator himself. So I plead with you, don't don't listen to anyone who says you need anything more than Christ to be fulfilled. Just be reminded of, of what, we, what we read a couple of weeks ago um, in Colossians 1, that everything was created by him and for him. If we continue to seek fulfillment in created things, we will continue to be left utterly disappointed. But if we view creation in light of who creation was created for, we will surely enjoy the completion that we have in Christ. So I ask you again, where do you place your sense of fulfillment? What do you think you need in order to be satisfied? What is the source of all your joy? John MacArthur read a poem during one of his sermons and and I think it really captures the heart of one who finds their fulfillment in Christ. So as we reflect on this, please listen. It should be up on the screen, but I'll read from it. In Christ, I find the source of all earth's loving, the universe of peace and trust divine. In Christ, I I find the satisfaction born of knowing forever I am his. He is mine. In Christ, I find a harbor from the tempest, a refuge safe to God throughout the test. I find in him a shelter from the darkness, a a safety in his arms, my soul does rest. In Christ, I find the bread that leaves no hunger, the wine that leaves no thirst within the heart. I find the warmth of love 
that Jesus gives, the blessings of its riches to impart. In Christ, I find an endless realm of beauty, a garden call, a sage and sorted heat. I find a matchless wonder of his presence as I in prayer abide at Jesus' feet. In Christ, I find the greatest human treasures, the washing white from sin, salvation free. In him is found a joy that knows no measure, the gift of one who gave his all for me. In Christ, I find all love, all joy, all blessing. I find the peace that shares without no part. In Christ, I find the gates to heaven's glory. In Christ, the Christ who dwells within my heart. Friends, if you have Christ, you have all you need. So Christ is sufficient for Christian living. He is sufficient for all wisdom and guidance. He is sufficient for our fulfillment. And last but not least, he is sufficient for our redemption. Let's read verses 11 to 15. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having, with, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, in case you weren't aware, circumcision is the removal of the foreskin of a man. This surgery was mandated by God for the people of Abraham and his male descendants, and it was a sign of God's covenant with his people. Through the centuries, the Jews have have continued this practice. So circumcision was required by law in order to distinguish God's people from the pagan world surrounding them. It was also a symbol of ceremonial cleanliness. However, what circumcision could not do, what the law could not do, was cleanse God's people from their sin. The circumcision that we read here, as Paul says, is not that of human hands. The law was not sufficient to redeem God's people. 
It did not matter how many sacrifices, animal sacrifices were committed. It did not matter how many boys were circumcised. It, it didn't matter how, how hard they tried to keep the commandments. The law was insufficient to redeem humanity from our sin. As the writer of Hebrews tells us in, in Hebrews 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law is insufficient. Well, as Paul says, what the law could not accomplish, God did through his son. The circumcision that was done by human hands was insufficient, but the circumcision of the heart that was executed and accomplished by Christ himself is what humanity needs. This is what verse 11 means when it says you are circumcised by Christ. These verses in 11 to 15 describe us in the, in, in the state we were in before we had received Christ. So it says that we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. We see that we had this legal debt against us that, that condemned us. But, but what actually happened and, and, and who was responsible for this change? Well, so, so we were dead. So does Paul say that you were dead, but then you, you, you prayed the sinner's prayer? Does he say that you were dead, but then you accepted an invitation to Cornerstone this evening? He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Our redemption was the work of God and God alone through Jesus Christ. The language of death is used to describe the, 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 the sinful state of humanity apart from Christ. It's very intentional. It communicates our absolute inability to reconcile ourselves with God. So we were not drowning, hoping that someone could save us. We were not on the, on the edge of a cliff with, with an outstretched arm, hoping that someone would, would support us so that we could pull ourselves up. We were dead, incapable of saving ourselves, incapable of raising ourselves from the dead. God made us alive. The work of salvation was accomplished by God and God alone. There's nothing we could have done or contributed to, to obtain it. So should we ever doubt our redemption, let us remember the one who is responsible for it. Because Christ is sufficient for our redemption, we, we don't need to be crushed by the guilt of our sin. Christ is enough to secure our status before God. 
As those who have received Christ, we do not need to fear the powers of this world. We don't need to fear the consequences of sin. We don't need to fear death because of the cross of Christ. There is forgiveness and victory over sin and death. All powers and authorities have been disarmed. The accuser has been silenced. Christ has triumphed. And we stand in victory with him. I know it's really, it's really easy to forget this fundamental truth that Christ is sufficient for our redemption. How often do we, do we sin and, and we doubt our salvation? How often do we forget how far Christ has taken us and doubt whether we'll be good enough for heaven? Let's read verse 14 again. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. No longer do we stand condemned. No longer do we bear the weight of our sin and guilt. Christ has taken every sin, every transgression, past, present, and future, and nailed it to the cross. Rest assured, brothers and sisters, as as long as we have Christ, we have all we need. Let's not add to him. Let's not think that somehow we need to do more in order to secure our redemption. Let us all always remind ourselves that Christ is enough, <clears throat> that he is sufficient in our Christian living. We don't need to rely on our own discipline and willpower. He's sufficient for all wisdom and guidance. We have the power to resist being taken captive by empty and deceitful philosophies. He's sufficient for all fulfillment. We don't need to seek completion in anything else. We don't need to be dissatisfied with what we have, for we have all we need in Christ. And he's sufficient for our redemption. We can take great comfort from his completed work on the cross and joy in the freedom of our redemption. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into this broken world for us. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, there is more mercy than we can ask. We ask through the power of your spirit to help us hold tight onto Christ, to help look to him for joy, hope, and our fulfillment. And we pray this in his glorious name. Amen.